Are you looking for alternative investments and tangible assets that help you build and protect your wealth while empowering your financial future? Look no further than Eckerd Enterprises. With over 37 years of experience in the industry, Eckerd Enterprises is your trusted partner in the world of alternative investments and asset management. They have a track record of success with more than 1,300 investors who are on board and over 700 million in capital invested in tangible assets. Their specialty lies in offering immediate cash flow opportunities through mineral rights investments so that you don't have to wait decades to see your investments pay off. Their unique AML approach, born from decades of experience, focuses on aggregating, maturing, and liquidating assets strategically to maximize return. Join Eckerd Enterprises. Visit EckerdEnterprises.com today to begin your journey toward building and protecting your financial future. Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. We recently had a question posted in the Physician Finance Group on Facebook about rebalancing finances as you get closer to retirement and income taxes in retirement. And so I invited our good friend Daniel Wren of Wren Financial here to kind of help us sort through those topics. You probably know Daniel from his podcast on financial residency called Financial Vitals. He works with a lot of physicians and he's just very knowledgeable about what we need. So welcome to the show, Daniel. Uh, Thanks for having me. Good to see you. You too. I haven't talked to you in so long. It's so good to catch up today. Been a while. I'm a little envious of you in your location. I'm just in my office, but <laughs> also good to see you in such a nice location as we work in here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we were lucky enough to get to come down to Florida this week and it just started spitting snow in Kansas City. So it was perfect oh, it was timing. Perfect. Very perfect timing. <laughs> well, I mean, this wasn't my question that I posted, but I think it pretty much applies to myself and my husband as well as we're in our 50s and kind of coming up on retirement soon. So I know we struggle and struggle all our lives trying to put that money away and kind of higher risk maybe in the beginning and kind of want to lower that risk as we go. How do you cancel? How do you counsel people that you work with who are kind of getting in that stage of their lives? I will tell everyone this at any stage in life, but I think it's especially important as you're approaching retirement is to have a plan. Like, first of all, you gotta have a plan and not just like a, I did a calculator online plan, but like really thought out plan, especially, you know, as physicians, it's a little bit more complicated. So I think first and foremost, it's really important to have a plan that's really well thought out. Basically a plan is like, what's your ideal life look like in the future? you know, all the way out to like, even at death or even beyond that, if you want to pass an inheritance. So like, what does your ideal future look like? What's most important to you? What do you want it to look like? And then backing up to today and saying, so the plan is basically just like, what needs to happen with your money for this purpose? What needs to happen with your money in order to get you from here to there and have the ideal life? So retirement, like as you prepare for retirement, obviously 
retirement requires a lot of resources for most people. So you have to, I think, first and foremost, map all that out. Like that's a big part of the most people's plan. You got to figure out like how much resources do I need? Like what do I need to have tucked away in order to be confident retiring? I think a whole lot, a lot of people, even people that are retired are not like super confident their money's going to last. Even people that have way more than enough that I interact with, they're still worried about not having enough, even though it's really obvious that they have way more than enough. And why that's important, I think, is because, well, first of all, it's not healthy to worry. Nobody wants to worry a lot. If you're going to be freaked out all the time, what's the point of retirement? I mean, retirement needs to be fun. And it's just the bigger thing, I think, is what are the alternatives you could be doing? Like if you have plenty to retire, then you have to think about like, what's the rest of it going to go to? And I think for physicians, that's especially, I would assume people that are listening are more the proactive types that are planning ahead and have are saving adequately. So for a lot of physicians, if you've done a good job saving and you do what you're supposed to, and you've done it for a lot of years and you're approaching retirement, you probably, there's a good chance to have way more than enough. So then the question is like, what do you do with all the extra money? You know, do you pass it to your kids? Do you spend more? Do you give it away? Like, where are you going to give it away? How are you going to give it away? Like, how does that affect your, you know, taxes? And that kind of gets into the question that was thrown out. It's so first and foremost, though, I think you have to have a plan because that's where you start to personalize it. You've heard people say like personal financial plan, but the personal part is really important. It's like you got to look at your goals, what's most important to you, make sure your money's doing what it needs to do to follow that, to kind of follow that path out. Then you start to apply the, you know, going back to the question, that's when we can start to work on like answering that sort of question. It's like, we have a plan, we know what's available, we know how we're doing because you can say, okay, because if say you don't have enough resources, it's like, well, that's going to look completely different than someone. It's like, well, maybe you need to wait to start rebalancing your changing around your stuff for retirement, or maybe you have way more than enough. You can do things a little bit differently. And then it definitely affects the tax. The second part of the question, like it definitely affects the taxes as to how, you know, what your situation is going to be when you're going to retire, what your age is. People that retire young have a completely different situation than people that work a long time. A lot of times physicians, you know, will, that, that we work with one-on-one will say want to retire by like 50, but then they work beyond that. So they're financially independent at 50, like they could retire, but then they keep working because they, you know, maybe they enjoy it or whatnot well into their 60s. That just ends up and it creates a lot of resources and puts you in a lot higher tax bracket. It changes the game a lot on how you end up navigating that question. So there's not a really, I think the first thing is having a plan first and foremost, and we can kind of talk about like what that might start to look like, but first and foremost, I think is having that plan and it's really going to vary by situation. So I guess in the beginning, when you're starting to try and figure out that plan, do you look at things like, you know, what do you want to do in retirement? Like when Doug and I talk about it, we like to travel. We want to be active. We want to go see all of the things in the world that we haven't been able to see during our careers. So I think we kind of have a bigger number in mind that we think we'll need mm-hmm. to afford those kind of vacations and that kind of a thing. Is that yeah. one of the first things that you look at with someone is, you know, what do you want your retirement to look like? 
Yeah. That's the number one question is like, well, I would make it even bigger picture. It's like, what's most important to you about, you know, living your ideal life? What is most important to you today? And then what is most important to you in the future? So ideally, and maybe it's traveling or, you know, whatever you think about in your situation, you want to tie that to your money. So if it is something like traveling, you want to start. So once you define those priorities, then you start to kind of put numbers to them. You also need to think about the stuff you're already doing, like the lifestyle you're already living at. That's like the floor, I guess. But a lot of people don't need, I think a lot of people don't, well, I know a lot of people don't realize what their lifestyle actually is, what they're spending. It sounds like a straightforward thing, but it's not as straightforward as you think. It's like, okay, because that, so that's an important first step. It's like, we need to figure out what am I actually spending today? And how much of it is going to continue into retirement? Because so, so if you're young and you're thinking about that question, first of all, nice work. You're thinking ahead. That's good. But maybe you have stuff you're paying for my for your kids. Like I have young kids and there's a lot of stuff we're paying for kids. That's going to stop. So I shouldn't, you know, that's not retirement lifestyle. Or maybe you have a mortgage that's going to get paid off before you retire. There's a lot of potential expenses that are going to slow down or go away in retirement. So you got to figure out what your lifestyle is now and then figure out how much of that lifestyle is going to continue into retirement. And then you can go back to what's most important and start to think about like what other things would you ideally like to do or change or accomplish or whatnot and, and start to put a dollar amount on those. And then trying to think about like the types of investments. I know for us as we're trying to build the wealth with historically invested like in the stock market or real estate or those kind of things. Do you typically counsel people to maybe take safer investments as they approach retirement? Maybe get out of some of the, I don't know if higher risk is the right term, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, it really starts to depend on circumstances. I keep saying it depends, you know, because it does. If you have a whole bunch of wealth, like if you have more than enough to retire, you kind of have like wiggle room and it's like you can actually take more risk if you wanted to. The thing about taking risk, so I think that's what you're getting at is like how much risk are you taking with your investment? Because I'm sure you've heard more risk reward. So the more risk you take, the more reward you get. With retirement, you, you also start to think about like risk equals volatility. That's another thing, like that's a different thing. So you start to say, well, you start to think like, well, if I'm going to be living on this and need it to last the rest of my life, I know risk is reward, but like I also need it to not be so volatile. That's another kind of viewpoint to think about. So generally speaking, like for average situation, it is a little is better to slowly start to reduce the risk as you get closer to retirement and get into retirement, but you don't have to, like there's people I've advised to like that they don't have to, they don't need to, they can still be aggressive because what happens is if you're more aggressive, it's, there's a high likelihood you'll have more wealth at the end of your life because it's risk reward, mm -hmm. but you have to have, you also have to, in order to do that, you have to have enough wealth so that you can weather the ups and downs. So, but generally speaking, yeah, it is better to lower your risk. And that's just like general. Now, it's another part of the personal equation that's important is like people have different preferences. So some people are like, well, 
I don't like the volatility thing. I don't like the ups and downs, especially if I'm going to be living off of it. So I'd like to figure out the least amount of volatility I can possibly get and still have enough. So that's an, that's another approach. And in that case, it's like, well, depends on how much you have. We can figure out is how little risk you can possibly take. How do you counsel people? I guess if everything's an ideal world and we're healthy until the end of our life, we can kind of calculate how much we want, you know, to accommodate the lifestyle that we want in our retirement. Yeah. But how do you counsel people through the what ifs? You know, what if I get sick and I need to go into a nursing home? How do you try to plan for that? Yeah, that's the big one, I think, in retirement. That's probably the most expensive one because healthcare should be covered for the most part by Medicare. And yeah, long-term care costs are huge. It's just like same thing, making a plan. So the one of the nice things about being a physician is typically income's higher and you've become accustomed to a higher lifestyle. And so that requires a larger amount of retirement in order to be ready to retire because you have to have more money to sustain that higher lifestyle that you've gotten used to. So the average physician needs a lot more money in the bank basically to retire. So that's just part of the deal. But going back to some of the big what ifs, when you have more than enough, it's going to reduce the impact of those kinds of risks. For instance, if you're li- living at a hundred thousand a year lifestyle, for example, and you introduce into it like this whole like long term care expense at the late stages of life, it's say $80,000 a year for six years, that kind of wrecks things. I mean, it's, it does a lot of damage. I mean, that's painful. Versus if you're living at 300,000 a year lifestyle, um, it doesn't have near as much of an impact on the plan. So most physicians that we work with are on pace to be, we say like self-insured. So most physicians we work with are on pace to be pretty close to self-insured for pretty big long-term care stays just as a result of like saving what they need to save and having plenty of nest egg and but you can always blow up the plan. Like you can say, well, what if both spouses need 30 years of long-term care, full out of home, you know, full-time 24 hour around the clock, then, I mean, it's, you know, it's probably going to break your plan, but we could also be like, well, what if the, what if there's an earthquake or and the world blows up or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I know you can't plan for every eventuality. Most physicians now you can also buy long-term care insurance or both. You can do both. So a lot of people, not a lot of people buy long-term care insurance. I think some people buy it. It's just, it's very expensive. It's been a a difficult thing for the insurance industry to figure out because it's so common. It's like half the time people use it, but so therefore it's expensive, but like, it's also difficult for a consumer to bite the bullet of paying for something that's really expensive when half the time they're not going to use it. I mean, and I'm sure this is variable, but what kind of premium do you have on policies like that? And and does that depend on when you start the it's policy? All the place, a, gotcha. a lot, more than you would expect. And it depends on when you get it. Like if you're getting it when you're real young, it's not too bad, but you got to pay it for a long time. And if you get it when you're in your 60s or 70s, it's super expensive to the point where it's most people are not going to get it. 
I have seen some newer policies people have looked at that are more like a hybrid kind of like they're like a combination of annuity and long-term care or a combination of life insurance and long-term care where they're not, it's more just like you reallocate a chunk of your wealth into it. But those get really complicated, really expensive products, but you don't have to pay a premium so much. It's more just like reallocating your wealth. So, but in certain situations, it works really well, especially if you worry about it. It's like, if you could set, you know, if you could say park a couple hundred thousand dollars of your wealth to kind of take that risk off your plate, that might be a good deal for you. It sounds like a lot of the planning goes back to the individual's personality, their or, appetite for risk, their, you know, fear of the what ifs, the whatever. And some people are like, my kids are going to take care of me. That's not as common these days, but, but it's <laughs> like, so okay, spread out anymore. Make sure and run that by them. That's good <laughs> advice. Make sure they're on board. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. I think the most challenging part, my dad just retired and he definitely found this surprising. Like he, he didn't totally get this, but like one of the interesting things about transitioning into retirement is it's, especially if you've been used to being an employee forever, is you go from like this world of like, you get a paycheck from the company and you have very little control over it. As in, I mean, like your work effort can control it. But like at the end of the day, once you've done the work, it's just like you do the work, they pay you. Well, you withhold taxes, a lot of taxes and, and then benefits and then they pay you the remainder. And it's very systematized. And, and then you flip to retirement. It's like, what do we do now? Like, where does the paycheck come from? And for someone that's saved, it's kind of like, well, now you have several different buckets of money that you've hopefully saved enough in. And then you have to pick where you're going to take the money from. And depending on how you pick is going to affect how much you get, what your taxes are going to be. And you can change it anytime you want. I think that would be really hard to change your mindset. You go from saving to depleting. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally different mindset. At the same time, you're depleting your money you've saved a long time for. So it's a little unnerving. You're like, are we sure? Are we good? And so you could see how people would be like, well, I'm just going to wait a little bit. And I know you're saying it's probably good, but like, let's play it safe. But yeah, I mean, it's a totally different if you've been self-employed, it's a little, it's almost more like that. It, that's a step in the direction of retirement because you just have more control over, like, especially if you own a business, it's like you get to kind of choose when you're going to get paid. And from a tax standpoint, because, you know, when you're retired, if you take out of certain accounts, it, you basically pay no tax versus if you, like a Roth IRA, if you have a bunch of Roth IRA assets, it's like, well, you could live off the Roth for a few years and you're in the 0% tax bracket. So. I guess going into that depleting and tax kind of category at the same time, assuming someone has stock market, Roth IRA, 401k, whatever they might have, is there kind of a progression that you recommend that people go through as far as depleting? I think the best way to think about it is, well, some people like to make predictions about what tax brackets are going to do. Some people will say, well, I, I really think tax brackets are, they have to go higher in the future. And you can make a case for it. It's like the government's spending a ton of money. They're in debt. Tax brackets need will have to go up in the future. Like that's 
I've heard many people make that case. And then some people will say it's going to go lower because they're high right now. But I take the approach to like, we have no idea. And let's just, and, and they've been in a range over a pretty long time. So I think it's safer to just assume that it's probably going to be similar roughly to how it is now from the government's standpoint. And then you can kind of go with that assumption. So if you're going with that assumption, then the best way I think to do it is to ideally we call it like flatten out your tax brackets over your entire retirement. So I was talking about using your Roth IRA all at once. So let's just say you have three buckets of money, like you got a big Roth IRA. And then let's say you have a big brokerage account, which is like not qualified. It's not special tax treatment. It's just investments. And then let's say you have a big IRA, which was like your old 401k. So it's all pre-tax money. You got a big bucket of pre-tax money. You got a big bucket of Roth money. And then you got a big bucket of brokerage money. So when you take money out of the pre-tax money, it's like earning income. Like you pay at normal tax rates, depending on how much you take out. The brokerage account is going to be dividends, capital gain. That's a different way of tax. And then the Roth IRA is tax-free. So I was saying earlier, well, you could theoretically, if you have a lot in the Roth too, you could say, well, let's just take the first 10 years and live off the Roth and enjoy zero tax. That sounds appealing. If you take that approach, then the, the pre-tax count really grows and grows and grows. That would be like the defer taxes as long as possible's approach. So say you get to the end of the 10 years and you're like, well, that was nice. I paid no taxes for 10 years. That was really good. And then we go to the brokerage account because that's, that's not going to be near as tax burdened as the pre-tax account. Like you'll pay some tax. It depends on how long you've had it. And capital gains taxes are lower than ordinary income taxes, which would be, so in other words, you're going to pay less tax on it than the pre-tax account. So then you say, okay, well, we'll start spending on that account. Do that for the next 10 years. So your tax bracket goes up. The amount you're paying in taxes goes up a little bit, but it's still not that high. And then you do that for 10 years. And then at the end of those 10 years, you're now 20 years into retirement. The problem with that is by then your pre-tax count has become huge. And it's the worst tax treatment. So you end up like skyrocketing into the highest tax bracket for the last, say, 10, 15 years of retirement. And that, so that approach is, is kind of like defer taxes as much as possible. And I think a lot of people default to that, but that's not a good approach because, well, ideally you spread it out evenly, like from a tax bracket standpoint. So ideally, because the problem is like, if you could have taken some of those high tax bracket dollars at the end, and move them into like lower tax brackets, that's going to be better for you. So ideally you smooth it out. Like you kind of try to make it like even over the time. And if you could nail, like say you could get 22% rate every single year in retirement, that's a home run. That's like the goal is to kind of keep that marginal rate flat. But that's you kind of have to look at it each year. It can get tricky. Now, so there's some really good opportunities that can pop up. Like if you retire at like a really young age, you can do some cool stuff like with tax planning, like where you can, or do like Roth conversions. So Roth conversions are where you take the, the pre-tax count and move it to Roth IRA. 
to kind of get yourself in the, like, say you wanted to stay at the 25% tax bracket and you just retired and, you know, maybe you have plenty in the bank to last you the next year. You could say, well, we'll just do Roth conversions for the next few years to kind of fill up the 25% tax bracket. And then I'll have more tax-free money for the future. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can do, but like the gist of it is let's try to look at the entire period of retirement and pay the littlest amount possible for the entire time. Not just, not just this year, unless you're like, well, I'm not going to live very long or you have health condition or something. You're like, well, that changes the strategy. I mean, you know, and then you got to look at social security. If you're any prediction on that, you think it's going to be available. Well, I mean, I guess you'd have to have a crystal ball. Well, you can look at their numbers and use those like they their numbers. It's 2030 something. I don't remember which year it is, but like by 2030 something, they have to make changes like it just it's unsustainable beyond then. So like something will have to change by the time a lot of people listening are retiring. So I think a good approach for Social Security is to. If you're really young assume nothing, (laughs) especially if you're in a high income situation. Plan for retirement without it, just in case. Yeah. Assume nothing's going to happen. You'll get no social security versus if you're the other extreme, say you're near retirement and you've had a pretty average or below average income. In that situation, I'm like plan for a hundred percent. You're 75 or higher percent because you're closer to retirement and I think the last people they're going to ding on Social Security is the lower income average people. I think historically they're like taxing the higher income for social programs. Okay. So, you know, most people are in the middle. So it's like, well, maybe you plan for 25% of it or 50% of it or or you want to play it safe, just assume zero. I assume zero. Probably safe. I mean, that's safe. For my plan, I've never incorporated Social Security. And Social Security is taxed differently depending on which state you're in, too. Is that Yeah, Social Security gets complicated a little bit. Federally, it's not too complicated. But most people listening will pay tax on their Social Security income, both federal and state. So because you're in a higher income level. So you have to take that into consideration, too, because that people sometimes get in the situation where they have like a compounding tax problem in retirement. It's like. They have all this stuff deferring. So say you have a pension, like old school pension, and you have Social Security, which is kind of like a pension. And then you have all these big pre-tax accounts from work, like 401ks, 403bs. And then you maybe you have a brokerage account. So let's say you have 90% of your money's in those pre-tax accounts or the pension, and, and you got some of the brokerage. So you'll start in retirement, you start spending the brokerage account for the first, you know, five years or, so, or however long it lasts. But the problem with that is, so you're not paying much tax, but the problem with that is you're like building up a future tax bomb basically. And so it starts with that brokerage account runs out. So you got to start using the, the IRA or the pre-tax account. And then social security kicks in or maybe the pension kicks in too. And those all just like compound on each other to put each of them push you into a higher tax bracket. It's like getting raises at work. I mean, they're not the worst thing in the world, but like in this situation, you have control over it. Like you could have taken that income sooner and like spread it out a little more. That's that's the ideal approach is to kind of be a little bit more ahead of it and think about it and strategic and say, okay, let's 
instead of just waiting for these things to come in, let's like take consideration that social security will come in at some point and like, well, how's it going to affect my taxes? And let's try to minimize that. That makes sense. So what I'm getting is this is so individualized. It's almost impossible to give. When you start talking about taxes, especially when you start talking about preparing for it, I mean, there are some general things. Like I said, it's like have a plan for sure. Generally speaking, you know, maybe getting a little bit more conservative as you approach retirement. That's probably like safe, a safe approach. There's some rule of thumbs like we could hit on like a lot of people are like, what is enough? Like, what's my dollar amount? Have you ever heard of like the 4% rule? Mm-hmm. You might explain it though, just in case anyone that's else like hasn't. A, that's like a safe, most of y'all probably have heard this, if, especially if you've been listening to this. It's like 4% is a safe amount to assume you can take from a given investment for it to last you in retirement. So I'll give you an example. Like say you're retiring, it's like you have $1 million. It's safe to assume that would generate $40,000 a year of income. So you can kind of do the math on, say you need 400,000 to live, then it needs to be $10 million to generate 400,000 if you're using the 4% rule. So that's a a good rule of thumb, but it's simple. That's why it's good. I mean, it's everybody can kind of do quick math on it, but when you start to apply it, it gets, so it's like, well, what if you have 10 million of all Roth IRA, that's completely different because <laughs> there's no tax on it versus if you have 10 million of all pre-tax, like that's just, it's a very different situation. So, but on average, it, it ends up being around 4%. Like that's the average of like most people it is a safe, safe percentage. And that kind of assumes that you're going to have about 25 years of retirement if you just had static. Yeah, like 30. 30. But so if you're going to, if you're going to be longer than that, you probably want to, you know, bump it down a little bit. Okay. Or if you're paying an advisor, most guys in my business, they charge 1% on the balance. So it's like, well, take that off. (laughs) And that's a lot when you're retired and you have 10 million, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow. That is a lot. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we do a good service, but maybe not that good. (laughs) Hundred thousand a year is a lot. Well, if anyone wanted to reach out and kind of start working on that plan, kind of figure out where they're at on that continuum of planning for retirement, how would they get in touch with you, Daniel? You can you can find us. It's renfinancial.com. So W R E N N E financial.com. You can find our contact, reach out, reach out to us and we can chat or you can I'll throw out my email. It's Daniel at Renfinancial. Dot com. It also, if you have questions too, like I like, I like the kind of the Q and A format mainly because we're, we're addressing things you guys want to talk about. So keep the questions coming. We can always dig into other areas. And I think is the Facebook group the best place to throw out questions? Probably. They can also email me if they want to send direct questions and I can pass them on. So either email Daniel at renfinancial.com yeah. or Tammy at financialresidency.com. And yeah, we'll get your questions answered. And I'll throw out this. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll regret it. I don't think I will. I think if you have like a personal one that you don't want to put on a Facebook group, you can email me and I'll do my best to answer it one-on-one. So That sounds good. You can also always listen to Daniel's podcast, of course, at Financial Vitals, which you'll find here on the Financial Residency page. So 
Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today, Daniel. I appreciate it. I know I asked you some really broad questions that it's kind of hard to individualize any answers to, but. It's all good. I'm happy to do it. And it's always good talking with you. You too. And I hope you'll all tune in again next week for Grand Rounds. For more information about alternative investments and asset management, visit EckerdEnterprises.com. And remember, Eckerd Enterprises is your gateway to tangible assets and lasting financial success. Visit Eckerd today.